If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. We tend to think of hockey as Canada's game, right? We're a country that in many ways hockey kind of defines us. It's a sport, but it's also a part of our culture. But is that still true? I mean, to a large extent it is. It's probably the most popular professional sport in Canada. A lot of Canadians play hockey. But a lot of Canadian kids are playing other sports. The cost of playing hockey has gone up, continues to go up. In fact, with a lot of these elite streams that are coming on, the the price of playing hockey, the cost of playing hockey uh, is maybe higher than it's ever been. So what are the long-term implications of that? And if fewer Canadians are playing hockey, does it it at some point cease to be our national game? And what kind of effect does that have kind of on our identity as Canadians in a way? Uh, It's a fascinating new book out looking at the state of hockey. It's called Before the Lights Go Out, A Season Inside, A Game on the Brink. Sean Fitzgerald is the author of this book. He's a sports writer, writes for The Athletic, but he's also a hockey fan, a hockey dad. Sean, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So what did the, uh, the, you know, the idea for this, what, what prompted this, this book for you? It started, well, I mean, the short answer is I was unemployed at the time. I'd just been laid off by the Toronto Star, and a book editor friend of mine um, invited me out to talk about a concept of, you know, this was 2016, and the idea was, you know, what does hockey in Canada look like? What's the picture of hockey in Canada in this decade that for years we've been talking about, geez, hockey sticks are really expensive, and Mm -hmm. skates are really expensive, and wait a second, kids are going to academies now? Like, so after all of these years of, of us talking about that, what's, what are the cumulative effects? And you know, how do they materialize themselves? And how do they present themselves in the modern face of the game? So we talked about that, and we, we landed on a town that we could sort of use it as sort of a base camp, as a way to reflect the trends as they, they go through Canada. And we picked Peterborough, Ontario. And, you know, one of the reasons there is that, you know, Peterborough's home of the Peterborough Peets, which mm-hmm. is one of the storied junior hockey franchises across the country. But also that, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, Peterborough has reflected the rest of Canada. That I think, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, so I don't have them right in front of me, but something like the last 12 federal elections, I guess that's timely, today, um, if your party wins its seat in Peterborough, you form the government in Ottawa. Um, and the same is true provincially as well, that if your party wins in Peterborough, um, you form government in Queen's Park in Toronto. And Peterborough, Peterborough for years, not so much now, but Peterborough for years was the place that, say if you wanted to try, I don't know, a new Timbit, 
um, that might work in Moose Jaw and Halifax and Calgary and Edmonton. You tried it in Peterborough first, that it was a place where they tested consumer goods because Peterborough was, you know, an economy that was both industrial, manufacturing, but also service and health. And, and that's evolved as it's evolved across Canada as well. So, you know, through Peterborough, um, we picked that place as a place to explore some of the issues that, you know, are affecting the game today. So what, what would you say is the biggest thing affecting the game today? It's interesting. Are we on through until the final election results are through? <laughs> we, could, we could spend that much time talking. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the grassroots level, at the very short answer would be the professionalization. Um, that now at the ages of four, five, six, seven, um, there are week-long hockey camps that you can send your child to that, you know, before they learn to read chapter books, they can learn how to use the outside edge on their skates, that um, there are professional coaches who will come and work with your six-year-old goalie twice a week. There are teams of children who will play, you know, spring hockey, summer hockey, year-round hockey, all developing but then the question that's never developed is, you know, what are they developing towards? Well, they're developing to somebody making a lot of money because there are schools and academies and all of these things. So yeah. there's that. And what impact does that have? As you mentioned off the top, it raises the cost. But, but it also, what it does is it increases the soft cost that we don't see that, you know, if your child has a tournament, do you, as a parent, have the ability to take Friday off of work? Because guess when, guess when minor hockey tournaments start now? They start on Friday. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do you have the ability to get out of work at 4 o'clock on a Tuesday because your daughter has a practice across town at 5 o'clock? Yeah. Um, do you have a car? Do you have a willingness to give up every weekend from September to May? Um, no skiing, no visiting family, no playing board games, because there's a very good chance you're going to be spending a lot of time on Saturday and Sunday drinking terrible Arita coffee while your child is practicing or playing or working with some of these professional coaches. It's interesting because, you know, that's that's me in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, there's there is still something... I don't know if romantic's the word. There, there is something, there, there's a bond there. You know, the bond with your kids or the bond you make with other hockey parents and become friends that you kind of like being in the arena. You, you look forward to those gatherings. You look forward to watching your kids. There is still something pure, I think, in all of that uh, that is very much Canadiana. But you, you, you also touch on kind of what it's become as well. It's, it's, it's sort of taken this and it, it's become, it's evolving into an industry almost. Well, here's the thing. You touch on two very important points, and I agree with you, to be very clear. I agree with you. Um, so, you know, people listening to this, if you're, if you're the parent of a child who's in elite swimming or if you're the parent of a child who's in elite dance, competitive dance, which are wonderful pursuits because they get the child active, they get them out, all of the same things that we're talking about. You're sitting there in your car, wherever you're listening, thinking, well, hockey's not nearly as expensive as swimming or competitive dance. And you know what? You're true. You're right. Those are great pursuits, and they're wonderful, and they are incredibly expensive. So why are we picking on hockey? Well, hockey was on the back of our $5 bill. Like, hockey is exactly what you said off the top. It, it is still the most popular professional sport in this country. It is now into your second point, how we identify ourselves so often as Canadians, that if you close your eyes and think about what it is to be a Canadian winter, you think of snow falling softly on a frozen pond against the backdrop of children's laughter as they play the game. Yeah. And that gets into what you just said, is that through that, you can be in a city like Calgary, 
which is a massive city. And it can feel like a small town because if you're a hockey parent or if you're a hockey family, there's a very good chance that when you go into an arena, whether it's your home arena or a road arena, you're going to know other families. You're going to know other coaches because you're there and you're meeting the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, that you are meeting parents who aren't just parents of kids in your child's class, but you're meeting people in your community. So this is what we take for granted, I think. And through this yeah. process, this three-year process, I've come to really understand, especially now as a hockey parent, that I didn't see the first time through as I played, that that connection that you're talking about, of leaning over the railing, drinking out of that styrofoam cup of hockey, that's, of, of drinking coffee that's been you know, filtered through a sweat sock and just tastes <laughs> even worse, um, that's a communal experience. And that repeats itself in towns and cities across this country, that I'm sitting here in Toronto, you're there in Calgary, what do we have in common? We could get together for a coffee right now, and I bet you we could talk for another two hours, and we could, we could have a lot of common points just on that one thing. And oh, how yeah, amazing sure. is that? How amazing is that? It is. It, so it, it is a uniform. The challenge now is that because yeah. fewer Canadians, um, you know, the, the registration's sort of maintaining itself, but yeah. the population's going up, that fewer Canadians are engaged in this, that, you know, you know, when our kids maybe are on the radio talking about this 50 years from now, that connection's not going to be there, that, that this experience that we're talking about isn't going to be there. So why don't we take a step back, take stock, and see how we might address this? It's interesting because, you know, oftentimes when Canada stumbles, whether it be at the World Juniors or internationally, right, we sort of have that that introspection of that naval gazing, whether we're, we're still a hockey country. I think, you know, the industry that's been created will always churn out elite players. I think that's always going to be the case. But do we have the kids in the neighborhood just going out on the outdoor ice and having fun? I don't know that we measure the state of the game by how good the elite of the, the elite are. And that's the thing. Um, I mean, you win, I think, you win your medal, you win your trophy as a parent. You get your trophy as a parent if your child 30 years from now is still playing terrible beer league hockey. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, yes. It, it's not if they're going to go and, you know, replace Johnny Goudreau or if they're going to be the next Mike Smith in net for the Flames. It's are they playing that terrible beer league hockey with that awful equipment smell because their accounting firm is playing another accounting firm in a really fun accounting firm tournament on a Sunday or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like if they have that lifelong appreciation of the game and it's not just hockey, but it's, it's being physically active. It's that sense of being part of a team of getting out there and really sort of engaging, you know, the old style engaging because the benefit the benefit is something that we really overlook as Canadians. That you know, you look across this country. There's not a lot of things that we have in common, really. I mean, right. it's you know, universal health care. It's complaining about whoever forms government in Ottawa. It's maybe Timbits and you know, hockey. Like it's it's a relatively short list. And you know, the way it materializes, it, 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 we don't we almost take, we take it for granted. We don't even recognize. It. And here's just a very short personal anecdote that last year our eldest. Um, it was going into grade two. And the first day of school, there was a child, you know, sitting with a Vancouver Canucks hat on the other side of the room. The child's family had just moved to Toronto from Vancouver. So the teacher knows that our guy is, is hockey mad. So she moved the kid with the Vancouver Canucks hat next to our kid. 
the conversation, as it's been relayed, again, seven-year-olds aren't the most reliable journalists, but um, was, I like Brock Besser. I like P.K. Subban. <laughs> I play for East York. I play for Ted Reeves. Do you want to be best friends? Yes. <laughs> so now that child's father is on my Thursday Night Beer League team. Our families had dinner together last Thursday, and we've become really close. Now, might they have found each other without hockey? Maybe. But that certainly eased their entry point into a completely new part of the country. And we had that common touch point so that now, you know, a family that's from the other side of the country relative to us, it now part of a community through hockey. Mm-hmm. The other issue that comes up is, you know, the question of whether hockey can be multicultural. Uh, the game is glowing, growing globally. We, we have, of course, in Canada, uh, you know, famous example of uh, Hunter Ryan Singh, who uh, calls Hockey Night mm-hmm. in Canada in, in Punjabi. But is, is hockey still largely a, a white game? My wife uh, moved to Canada from Mumbai when she was 10 and never had aspirations of being a hockey mom and, and still won't watch the game <laughs> from inside the arena because it's too bloody cold. But yes, um, it, it, hockey has done a very poor job of making itself accessible and attractive to new Canadians. But there's an example in Brampton just outside here, and it's one of the more stark ones I've been able to find. And don't get me wrong, that there are success stories here across Canada. I'm not sure. saying this is universal. Mm-hmm. But just as an illustration, Brampton, Ontario, 20 years ago, had 4,200 children registered to play minor hockey in that city. In the intervening 20 years, the population of Brampton has taken off like on rocket fuel, that it's now one of Canada's largest cities um, within the top 10. Um, so now, what's the registration? 20 years ago, it was 4,200. You know, four years ago, it was 2,000. So wow. why is that? Like, it's not money. Because fully detached homes in Brampton, like so many other parts of Canada, they're really expensive. Um, it's that the families there um, aren't finding their way to hockey. And that the, the minor hockey executive there, the people who run it, are incredibly well-meaning. They're well-intentioned. They love the game. But they have had a lot of issues finding ways to reach out to that new community. And the new community, largely in Brampton, is um, you know folks with roots in, in, in India, Pakistan, elsewhere in South Asia. That I mean, my in-laws live in Brampton. And, and the, the hockey community has not done a very good job of, of connecting with, with those new Canadians. And until the, you know, that representation is balanced out, this crisis is going to continue. But I think my sense is you're not suggesting that it's all inevitable, that you're highlighting where we're at, but it doesn't have to continue to go this way. Correct. And the really, the really uplifting part of this, at least the, maybe uplifting is a bit Pollyannish. The promising, if you're looking for reasons for optimism, is that I, I spoke, I had the privilege of speaking with a lot of people who are in minor hockey across this country, including Tom Rennie, who's the head of Hockey Canada. Nobody said, I'm out to lunch. I mean, I am out to lunch on many, many things, but the basic premise <laughs> of what we're this. talking about here is they, they agreed on it. That, you know, there are people out there who are developing solutions. Um, you know, could it be, you know, there's, there's a minor hockey association in Bradford, Ontario, just north of Toronto, um, where they were having problems with retention in girls hockey. That They found at 13, 14, 15, a lot of girls were leaving the game. And what they found was they developed a mentorship program that, you know, women who had gone through that program and gone on to play maybe U sports or NCAA or even in the CWHL, they invited them back. They got, they got three hours of ice a month, so an hour and a half, twice a month. And they had these women run 
practices, skates. And then afterwards, they had a banquet hall next door and they had pizza and had a, a mentorship role. And they found that what that did was it immediately stabilized um, sort of that erosion of registration, that there are ideas that are excellent. The question is, um, how do you implement them across Canada, which is, you know, you think of all of the different geographical areas in this country, and each one of them has their own challenges as it relates to everything we're talking about. So what is the implementation going to look like? Because they're really good ideas. I think the challenge is now going to be, you know, which solutions do we embrace and how do you possibly implement them from Victoria to St. John's? Well, the book is called Before the Lights Go Out, A Season Inside, A Game on the Brink. Sean, thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. All right. All the best. Sean Fitzgerald, you can read his work as well at theathletic.com. He's a senior national writer for The Athletic. His book, Before the Lights Go Out, a very timely and important topic, I think. 974-8255 is a number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.